Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. invite you to remain standing out of respect for God's Word and hear these words from Paul, written from prison in Rome to the church at Ephesus. Paul says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the Word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. There are three main themes in the book of Ephesians as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. At the back half around chapters 27, 28 in the book of Acts, you can read about Paul's encounter when he was in Ephesus. Ephesus is a place where there were many calls and the attention of the people. There was not very, there were very few of the Jewish community there, primarily Gentile converts to Christianity, and they were being torn and pulled about all these ideologies, all these sort of ideas that would say, well, uh, pray to this God or look to this God. And really, they had all these lures of faithfulness that were sort of being tempted with. And, and in this, Paul says three overarching things. The first thing he says that is that Christ has reconciled all his creation to himself. That, that in Christ, God has reconciled all of creation. In other words, what Christ has offered is offered to all people to be reconciled, to be made one with God through accepting the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And that when, when you do that, the second major theme is God just doesn't reconcile everybody to himself, but when you get reconciled to God, it brings you together as a church. It brings you together as God's people, something we've forgotten a little bit about in our world today. But the third overarching theme, which is really important, is he's calling the people to remember, you have been made a new people because of Christ. Similarly to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when you come to Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And understanding what does this mean to be new, to be made new in Christ? 
And so as we're in this series and we're understanding what does this mean for us to have a sort of a spiritual detox of what we've accumulated from the world, the same way the church of Ephesus had all these different little idols and gods they could pray to, places to divert their attention from who Christ was, we have many of those that sort of subtly come in and confuse our commitments. And we sort of have Christ as one of many, but we need to lean in to that covenant. Remember a couple weeks ago what we prayed? We prayed a covenant. And what does that covenant prayer sound like? This is the one thing we didn't cover this morning. Do you have that ready? Jason, raise your hand if you do. Excellent. This is that covenant prayer. Oh, hold on. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. all right. So Wesley writes that covenant prayer. We, we, we prayed it in June, right? And we said in January, say, hey, we're gonna, this is part of a, a lifelong aspect of the covenant. So let's pray these words, right? I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. As people of faith, you're saying, I'm going to be made new in Christ. And what Paul tells us in Ephesians is, it's not what you do, it's what you put on. Did you notice that in the opening verses, it was stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. He's calling people, stand, not in your own strength, not in your own power, but what God offers to you. Clothe yourselves in these characteristics, in these resources that God offers you. You fight not this battle alone, friends. God is with you. Even when bats invade your church, God is with you. We laugh a lot about that, but before I get into unpacking Wesley's sermon, I want to I tell you this. I've thought a lot as I sat there, and I thought, you know, these little creatures I know are gods, okay? How can something so small, so small, that very few people ever really see, Close a building. I mean, how do they do that? And in that moment, what I realized is there's something we can learn here. And it's not about being opportunistic, because I don't know if they were Lutheran bats before they came to the Methodist church or <laughs> Catholic bats. But look, we've been laughing about this. I can guarantee you this. We're not going to touch them. They're going to be legally take, uh, they legally create an environment where they can leave. And so um, they're going to disaffiliate here in about three or four weeks. So I know it's just, we got to touch it to laugh about it. We're, we're all laughing about it. Anyway. But think about it. We look at this room. We may feel small and insignificant, feel that we are noticed no more than something that flies at night that no one else sees, and yet when it comes together, it can change reality for a lot of things. What if that's what God's calling for you and me? That it's each one of us, each one of us responds, each one of us makes our heart and life available, what Christ wants to do. The world looks different because we do that. In that kitchen, 
What we celebrated today is a conversation that started a year ago, and our first answer when God stirs things is not no, it's I don't know. Let's have a conversation. And this led us to be able to get a foothold and a footprint back in that arena of combating human trafficking. Is it small? Yes. Is it a beginning point? Yes. Is it doing something more than nothing? Yes. But we want to be open to what God does in our individual lives and collectively. So here are going to be a highlight of what Wesley talks about in his sermon, actually in a pamphlet called Advice to a People Called Methodist. I have some copies that the full pamphlet was emailed to you in the email this week about our interruptions of services. I also created cliff notes for myself and I made copies of that. So what I did is I took it and reduced it to the primary points. There are about 20 copies at each table as you exit, or if you want to email me, I'll be happy to give you the email copy. Here's gonna be the highlights of the cliff notes and this is really so, think about this, written in 1740, what's changed? Very little has changed. And here's what Wesley says, to these people called Methodists, these people who gather together, the first thing that Wesley says is, by Methodist I mean a people who profess to pursue in whatever measure they've attained holiness of heart and life, inward and outward conformity in all things to the revealed will of God. In other words, who you are on the inside, who you are on the outside says, here I am Lord, is it I Lord? I will go where you send me. This is the first thing he's saying. And this is a component of what we added to our values this year. These discipleship characteristics is that we will pursue, we will challenge, we will encourage that everyone is pursue holiness of heart in life. This is a precursor to what Wesley's concept in Methodist language is about moving on to sanctification. An idea that we sanctified, we're set apart, we make ourselves available to God to do God's particular and peculiar kind of work in the world. And he says when you do this you need to understand something. He says first consider with deep and frequent attention the peculiar circumstances wherein you stand. Almost an echo of what was spoken by the Apostle Paul. Consider with deep and frequent attention the peculiar circumstances wherein you stand. He says, you're a new people. Your name is new. Your principles are new. You are new in Christ. If you don't have to change anything about before your life in Christ, and if being in Christ doesn't change something in you over time, then John Wesley and I would both say, have you really given your life to Christ? You haven't. So that part of that surrender is the inward and the outward, that the, the marks of the Christian life in our language and theology, that your commitment to Christ will be noticed in what you do. How's the benediction every week that I use, you know, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go forth and do what? You remember, I've said it plenty of times, preach the gospel to everybody you meet, and if you need to, may God's Holy Spirit, you discern when you need to do what? Add words. So Wesley's saying is, those words of Augustine, these words, it should be reflected. You're a new people, your name is new, your principles are new. So what does that mean? Then he goes on to say, don't lessen your love to those who conscientiously dissent from you herein. What he's saying is, look, because you're new, you're going to be different. And not everybody's going to agree with you. In fact, I would suggest to you that the world is uncomfortable with any sense of novelty or any sense of something that would change the normative aspect. And what he says to us is so clear. Do not judge those that are otherwise minded. In other words, when you come to be new in Christ, you don't do so to judge others. How often have you heard it said the church is full of hypocrites? 
It never will not be and always should be full of hypocrites to the degree that we have not yet fully attained what God is wanting us to become. Which is why I say to people when they tell me, I ain't coming to your church, it's full of hypocrites. I say, you'll fit right in. <laughs> we got hypocrites right all over the place. Present company included. And then I unpack what that means. It's aspirational. It's hopeful. It's saying, God, I need to be shaped and formed into what you're calling me to be. But I'm not there yet. Here's the most important thing. He says, with respect, therefore, both to your name, your principles, and practice, there's no way for you to follow Christ where it's not going to make somebody else uncomfortable. He says, indeed, your life must give them a continual offense. In other words, if you are going to be new in Christ, there must be something distinctive and different. And just recognize, it's probably going to mean someone's not going to like what you're doing. That's okay. Don't judge them. Love them. The third thing, so you run up against that. You're new in Christ. Now you've got this world that's bumping up against you. Friends change. Job acquaintance change. Who you can sit at lunch with changes. Everything changes in life. So what does Wesley say? Consider deeply with yourself. Is this the God whom I serve able to deliver me? Am I not able to deliver myself out of these difficulties? Much less am I able to bear them. In other words, can God give me to rejoice in doing this that I may depend on him that he will? When you make that commitment, can you say, God, I'm going to trust you for this? Because when tensions come and you're living your life in Christ, your tendency will be, I don't want to rock the boat. So therefore, I may diminish what I believe. I may not want to do certain things, or I may just sort of slip back into conforming to the world. And Wesley's saying, do not do that. Trust God. Fourthly, he says, keep in the very path wherein you now tread. Be true to your principles. Be true to your principles. We covered this past week in the Wesley Studies on Wednesday night, uh, Wesley's sermon in the Catholic spirit, in which he is quoted as saying, if your heart is as my heart, could we not join hands? And, and some have believed that that's sort of a way of Wesley saying, it doesn't really matter what you believe if we just love each other, everything's cool. And nothing could be further from the truth, and there are about 23 people who went through that sermon and can see what we're talking about. Wesley had two full pages of saying, if is dependent upon, and he went through a whole list in 11 different paragraphs saying that if your heart is as my heart, that's a matter of these unshakable principles of who Christ is, God revealed in Scripture. And so Wesley's saying, hang on to your folks for your newness in Christ. Keep the path that you're in. And what does he say? And know that some will endeavor to fright you out of your principles. Some will endeavor to fright you out of your principles. I don't know exactly what that means, but it alliterates wonderfully. I want to sort of strap on my, my, my English phrase and say, be thou not frightened out of thy principles. In other words, don't let the world scare you. Go back up to the earlier point, which is, do you really believe God's able to deliver you? Do you really believe that God is with you? The God who's brought you to this is the, broad who will, the God who will bring you through this. And then his fifth major point is, is important to hear. He says, don't talk too much of what you suffer, of the persecutions you endured at such a time, and the wickedness of your persecutors. 
This would be a biblical kind of parallel to remember when the Pharisee came into the back and there was the sinner who was staying at the back and the Pharisee flows in and says, oh, oh God, thank you, I am not, I can't do anything without that uh, sort of Batman feeling now, it's just in the back of my brain. Oh God, thank you that I am not like that sinner in the back. And they begin stating his case to God. Right, so we don't need, as Annie Stanley has said, to define ourselves by kicking off of others. We don't do that. We claim who we are, and we don't say, whoa, it's me. There's nothing about Eeyore that will excite anybody of following Jesus. And the Eeyore qualities are what we're talking about. Don't, don't, don't focus on that, and don't focus on their wickedness or their evil. What does he say to do? He says, would it not be far more profitable for your souls instead of speaking against them to do what? What's it say, folks? Pray. To pray for them. There's a novel idea. I think a guy named Jesus Christ said the same thing. Pray for those who persecute you. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are blessed when people persecute you. Folks, if you are in Christ, you are a new people, but God's not done saving you yet. Right? So we can stand for the faith without having to step on anyone. We can live in a distinctive way for Christ in a culture that is, seems now only to be tolerant of a particular nature that says everything is permitted unless you don't permit everything. We're going to rub up against this increasingly world of thought diversity to sort of exclude people who believe a peculiar way. And how do we do this? We do this by simply hanging to our principles, knowing we're no, knowing we're new, knowing who we are, and knowing whose we are. Friends, here's the great good news and challenge that echoes for you and me as people of faith. Let us be people of the new covenant. Let us be new people in Christ. And knowing that means there will be adversity, there will be pushback, there will be persecution. When you experience that, Pray for what happens, stay true to your faith, and know that God in the person of Christ is with you and the power of the Holy Spirit will strengthen you. This is the good news of the gospel. The question is, will you choose to be that new people? Will you choose to be a light in a dark world? Will you choose to be salt for the earth? Will you choose to be the face, the hands, the voice, and the love of Jesus Christ in a broken and dark world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.